0: Fairest Lord Jesus, ruler of all nature, thee will I cherish, thee will I honor, thou my soul's glory, joy, and crown. As you know, I love those old hymns. We sing probably more hymns than the typical foursquare church these days, but I love the depth of the hymns. I love the stories behind the hymns. Some of those stories of the authors who wrote those hymns are incredible. Hymns usually have a uh, good theological background, a theological uh, foundation to them. And so um, I like to sing them. But there's a problem with hymns because of their familiarity. The minute sometimes we sing a song like this, we go, oh, well, I know that one or whatever. It might be Amazing Grace, whatever. And we just kind of go through the motions and we we forget what the song is actually talking about. The message of that song is absolutely beautiful. It begins with Ferris, Lord Jesus, Ferris, Lord Jesus, Ferris. As a kid, 10-year-old kid, the minute I hear that, what do I think of? I think of The cartoon, right? Snow White, mirror, magic mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? So all of a sudden, my 10-year-old mind compares Jesus to Snow White. Jesus to Snow White. But does Snow White even have anything on my Jesus? No. No, no, no. See, listen again to these words. I want to read them again. Fairest Lord Jesus, ruler of all nature, thee will I cherish, thee will I honor, thou my soul's glory, joy, and crown. Let's read it again. Fairest Lord Jesus, ruler of all nature, you will I cherish, you will I honor. You are my soul's glory, my joy, and my crown. In that short stanza alone, Jesus is described as the ruler of everything, the one whom we hold dear, that we honor and we respect, the one that we hold in high regard, that Jesus is everything. It tells us that He is my glory. That's exactly what the Bible tells us, that it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. The song says that He is my joy. That's what Jesus says in John 15, 9 through 11. As my Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and in rem- Made in his love. I have told you this so that my what joy. joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So the song talks about that he is our glory, that he is our joy and he is our crown. And that's exactly what Jesus is. We lay our crowns down before him in worship. Nothing compares to him. Jesus is our crown. He is our great reward. So that song says a lot, doesn't it? As we grow as a church in our worship of the Lord, I want to encourage us not just to go through the motions, but to engage in what is going on. Allow the message of these songs to penetrate your hearts, to speak to you, to remind you of who it is we are worshiping and who is it that we're worshiping. Jesus. We worship God. God, right? God, Almighty God. God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. Every song that we sing is probably going to hit at least one of the three persons of the Trinity. Trinity. Did you know that we as a church believe in the Trinity? We just baptized two people last week. That was an incredible celebration. But what do we say before we put them into the water? We say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. The Trinity, the tri-unity of God, it's one of the greatest divine mysteries that we have. See, it's the unity of God, that God is one, but we also believe in the Trinity of God. Three persons, one God. To our human minds, it's a contradiction. It is hard to explain the Trinity. To be sure, there's been differing ideas, differing opinions on, on God and, and how the Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, how they relate, interact with one another. But here at church, at LifeSpring, we believe in the Trinity. Did you know that? We believe in the Trinity. And as a Pentecostal Bible-believing church, we we follow closely what the Nicene Creed says about the Trinity. The Nicene Creed, it was created back in the day, a long time, way back in the day, because there were some of those who denied that Jesus was fully God, that God had actually created Jesus. He was a created being. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses uh, have a similar view today. But to counter that view, this Nicene Creed was created, it was formulated by a a council of bishops. They had several councils. By 381, we have what we nowadays know as the Nicene Creed. I want to read it to you. It's pretty good. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen, all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, but not made of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. By the Holy Spirit he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the father. This is getting me excited. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. That's Jesus. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life who proceeds from the father and the son with the father and the son. He is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and a apostolic church that's Catholic with a lower c So it just means all the believers in the world. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen. Another creed you might uh, be familiar with is the Westminster confession. Have you ever heard of that one? It's extremely popular in the Presbyterian church, the church that I actually grew up in. And I want to read the section that talks about the Trinity. It reads, there is but one living and true God. In the unity of the Godhead, there are three persons of one substance, power, and eternity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Father is one, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father, the Holy Ghost, eternally proceeding from the Father and the Son. So both of these creeds, they don't try to explain how the Trinity is possible, how God can be three persons, but also one God. But they do express what we believe about the Trinity. But in many ways, it's a mystery, right? It's a mystery, but it's one that we all believe in, that we have faith in. But it's a divine mystery. One of my favorite passages in the Bible that talks about the Trinity is when Jesus gets baptized. I love it. All three show up at the scene, don't they? Remember that? Jesus ascends from the waters of baptism. The Holy Spirit descends from heaven in the visible form of a dove. And then the Father speaks from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. All three persons of the Trinity here at the scene. I love the Trinity. I love the three persons of the Trinity. I love the Lord, my God, with all my heart, my soul, my mind and strength. I love God, the Father. I love God, the Son. I love God, the Holy Spirit. Today, we're going to be addressing the second member of the Trinity, second person of the Trinity, Jesus We started our series on the building blocks of life at LifeSpring last weekend. I'm really excited about this series. I'm glad that you're here this morning. Invite your friends. This will really explain what we're about here at the church. Last weekend, anyone remember what the first building block was? Shout out again. That's right. The Word of God. I challenge this not to just own a copy of the Word of God, but to actually open it. Not to just have the Bible app, but to actually read it. And with that being said, this morning, if you don't like scripture, this is a bad sermon to be at because there's going to be scripture after scripture after scripture this morning to help get some of this into here, to get some of this into here. By the end of the day, I'll have read a ton of scripture to help us discover the second building block of life at Lifespring, which is Jesus Jesus, which is a pretty darn obvious building block at Lifespring, if you've been here for any amount of time, kind of like what Wayne was talking about, we do a lot of talking about Jesus at Lifespring. He is very important about everything that we do at the church. Understanding him is going to be extremely vital for all of us as we move forward as a church. 2,000 years after his death, people all around the world are still trying to describe, still trying to understand, figure out Jesus. Ever since he came on the sand, people have been attempting to specifically describe who he is and what he stands for. He has been called many things, hasn't he? He's been called a god. He's been called a prophet. He's been labeled a good moral teacher. I just read an article the other day that said Jesus was a magician. He was just a really good magician. That's how he was able to do his miracles and those wonders. Others have labeled him the devil himself. Today, we're going to discover the real Jesus. I am so excited about today. Get your listening ears on. We're going to move fast, but I'm excited to listen and hear about Jesus. But before I talk, I'd like us to bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, I want to know you. I want to know you. There is a passion within my soul to know you, Lord. And I pray that your spirit would speak to us this morning, that you would reveal to us, open the eyes of our hearts, that we might know Jesus Christ a little bit better this morning, In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Today we're only scratching the surface on Jesus, but that's going to be okay. It's not the last time we're going to talk about him at this church. I recently said, like Wayne talked about, that we are a one trick pony here at the church. We have all of our eggs in one basket and the basket has a name. What's the name of the basket? Jesus. So for as long as the doors are open at this church, we will be talking about Jesus. But today, I want to address some specific areas that I think are going to help us as we move forward in our understanding of who Jesus is and help us in our communicating Jesus to others. Some of this I'm going to move through pretty quickly. But I encourage you to take notes. We have a blank sheet of notes for you. Dive into the stuff a little deeper on your own if it piques any interest or stirs up something from, you, from within you. Okay, let's, let's begin. Uh, Jesus was born of a virgin birth. The virgin birth. Did you know that we believe in the virgin birth? Raise your hand if you believe in the virgin birth. All right. We believe that Jesus is fully man and fully God. We believe he's fully man, fully God. Raise your hand if you believe in that. you like, I don't know I believe in that one. Guy Duffield, he explains this nature of Jesus. Listen up. He says this. Jesus had a divine nature and a human nature. Yet he was one person, not two. He was the son of God and the son of man. But his two natures did not result in a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde dual personality. He was the Christ, the Messiah, and he was Jesus of Nazareth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He subsisted in the form of God and was equal with God, but he took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He was a real man. But not merely men. Jesus was born and died like men. But he was the ancient of days who said before Abraham was, I am. Jesus said, I thirst, but also said, I am the water of life. Jesus said, will you give me a drink? Yet on the same occasion said, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. He was beaten with stripes, yet with his stripes we were healed. He said, I can do nothing of myself. But without him was not anything made that was made. Another had to carry his cross. But he upholdeth all things by the word of his power. He increased in wisdom and in stature as he raised up as a kid. But he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He was sentenced to death by a Roman governor. But he was the king of kings and the lord of lords. He said, now my soul is troubled. Yet he was the prince of peace. He cried on the cross, why hast thou forsaken me? Yet he promised his followers, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Wow, a human nature... And a divine nature. That's what we believe in. We believe that Jesus came to this earth to do some work. He had some things to do. Some things to accomplish. The will of the Father. He came to do the work of a prophet. The work of a priest. And the work of a king. As a prophet he came to make known the will of God to man. And to predict future events. As a priest, he came to bear our sins. Hebrews 7.25 says it this way. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because he always lives to intercede for them. Amen. And he came as a king. With his life and death, he destroyed Satan's kingdom. He initiated a new kingdom. A kingdom of righteousness. And one day, he will come back. And he will reign as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There's my five minute version of Jesus. (laughs) But as I prepare messages, I always like to ask the question, so what? Like all these neat little tidbits. Well, okay, who cares? How does that matter to me? How does that affect me? And that's what we're going to talk about the rest of our time together this morning. Let's take everything we know about Jesus, everything that you've learned in Sunday school from your parents, from the Bible, everything, just put it on the shelf for a second let's remove jesus from the from the equation now we are left with god god and us us think about who god is and think about who we are as you consider the holiness of god and also the failure and the sin of mankind it's easy to see that there is a need a desperate need ...for a plan of salvation. One that could bridge that gap. This gap of immense proportions... ...between man's sinfulness... ...and God's holiness. But God... He, he knew all about the fall of man... ...and so before the creation of the earth... ...before the creation of the earth... ...God had planned such a salvation... ...for His people. Before the first sin was committed... ...before that rebellion of man... ...man, by the way, who was made in the image of God... Before all that, the Lord had planned and provided the way of escape from the trap and the condemnation of sin. This is good news. This is really good news. Our sin did not catch God unaware. He foreknew the fall. He foreordained the plan of rescue. The plan of rescue. God's plan of rescue was so simple that any man could come to accept it and experience its power. Yet it was so profound that no one has yet to discover a flaw in it. It is truly amazing that in this one plan, this one and only plan, all of humanity's spiritual needs are met. God's plan centers around one person. This one person we call a a mediator, one who could go between an offended God and a helpless, sinful creature, man. We find this mediator in the person of Jesus. I just read this verse. I want to read it again. First Timothy two, five, write that down for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. This is why Jesus, the second person of the Trinity came to earth. All right, take him back off the shelf. You can put them back in your brain. He came to be a mediator. And to be a mediator for God, he had to be God, and to represent mankind, he must be man. Listen to what Hebrews 2.14.17 says about that. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he has to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. It's what we just talked about. Jesus was fully God, fully man. And he accomplished his work as a mediator through his death, through his burial, and through his resurrection. That is the gospel message. That's what Paul tells us is the gospel. It's that he died, he was buried, and raised again. We're going to talk about his death first. But for him to die, he must have been alive, right? Do you believe that, that Jesus actually lived on this earth? Anyone believe that? Raise your hand if you believe that. All right. The life of Jesus. I love the life of Jesus. It's amazing. It's incredible. It's extremely interesting to me. Look at his life. It is full of miracles and wonders. Incredible things. Feeding the 5,000. turning the water into wine, healing the sick. What did he do? He gave sight to the blind. But yet everything that Jesus did while he was on this earth, with everything that he did, his primary purpose was to come and to bring salvation to the souls of men. Salvation to the souls of men. Not just to prove that he was the son of God by his mighty works and his miracles, but to actually save God's people. When the angel of God spoke to Joseph concerning the birth of Jesus, he said this. The angel said, she, Mary, will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And how did he do that? How did Jesus save his people from their sins? It was through his death, the death of Jesus. As Christians, we understand that. We get that. That Christ had to die for our sins. Jesus' death, it was not an accident. It was not a mistake. His death was foreseen throughout the Old Testament. You can see types of Jesus' death throughout this thing. I mean, think about it. we got Abraham and his son Isaac. We have the... Um, in the book of Exodus, we have... The Passover lamb uh, in the Leviticus, I think it's the first seven chapters, It describes this whole uh, Levitical sacrificial system. Isaiah, he talks about it in 53, six, seven. He says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. His death... Was prophesied. After Jesus' resurrection, he talks about this. He he talks about that his death was prophesied. We find him having this conversation with two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Remember that. And Jesus talks about that Moses and all the prophets. In fact, all the scriptures had spoke of his death. He said to them this: "How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken." Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning, listen to this, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. First Peter one, 10 and 11 concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. So the prophets predicted his death, but along with the Old Testament, the New Testament has a lot to say about his death as well listen to this quote Re- Reuben Archer Torrey says that the death of Jesus is mentioned directly more than 170 times or 175 times in the New Testament 175 times the death of Jesus to my non-Christian friends this sounds morbid it sounds depressing my non-Christian friends ask me this question all the time what's the deal with the death of Jesus you're always talking about the death of Jesus Why did he have to die? Well, that's a good question. Why did he have to die? Duncan, why did Jesus have to die? To save us. us. How did he save us? What did he do? Died on the cross. cross. What happened when he died on the cross? What did it do for us? Forgave our sins. He died to take away our sins. You are a good kid. (laughs) He died to take away our sins. The express purpose of giving himself as a ransom, a ransom for our sins. Matthew 20:28 20, says just that just as the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many Hebrews 9:26 he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself Henry Clarence Thiessen says his death was not an afterthought or an accident, but the accomplishment of a divine purpose in connection with the Incarnation. The Incarnation is not an end in itself. It is but a means to an end. And that end is the redemption of the lost through the Lord's death on the cross. Jesus' death is important. It's one of the two fundamental truths of the gospel that we preach at LifeSpring Church. Paul reminds us. I just referenced it. I want to read it. 1 Corinthians 15. He reminds his readers of the gospel that he preached to them. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Jesus' death was an absolute necessity for our salvation. Jesus himself tells us he must suffer many things. It was a necessary death. The only way that a holy God could forgive the sins... Was by his holy son bearing the penalty. The penalty that was ours. The penalty of a sinner's guilt. He cannot forgive sins just because he's sorry or because we're sorry. He can't forgive our sins just because we're sorry or because we've repented. Forgiveness from God can only take place after the penalty has been paid in full. I hope you understand that. Who paid the penalty? Jesus paid the penalty. See, God couldn't just forgive us because He loves us. But that sounds so good. But He couldn't. No, because of His holiness, because of His justice, because of His righteousness, someone needed to pay that penalty for sin. But God's love compelled Him to send His Son to pay the penalty. This should give you goosebumps. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still opposed to God, Christ died For us. Amen. In one of my Bible classes, I was told this is the problem of God. The problem of God. How to forgive and yet at the same time be the judge of all the earth. How to pardon and yet maintain the law that lives within him so that we might be able to trust that God is the God of justice and judgment. How to cancel sin, treat it as if it were not, and yet maintain and vindicate his righteousness. God solved that problem when he gave his only begotten son to die for sin. Justice and mercy met at the cross. Psalms 85 says righteousness and peace have kissed each other. I want to walk us through some terms that we use to describe exactly what happened for us through the death of Jesus on the cross. Like I said before, man's sin was so great and God's holiness so pure that the gulf between them, which must be spanned, required an amazingly amazing accomplishment by Jesus Christ. It's mind-blowing to me, but yet every need of the sinner in relation to our sin was met on that cross, allowing us to have the opportunity to have fellowship with God. At the same time, Christ met every requirement necessary for a righteous and a just God to freely forgive sin, receive us back into fellowship. Here are the words that we use as Christians to describe God's plan of salvation that took place through the death of Jesus Christ. If you have a pen and paper, these would be wonderful things to write down. Number one, the death of Jesus Christ. It's a substitution. It's a substitution. 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter 2.24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. There are scripture after scripture that clearly tells us that Christ was our substitute in bearing our sins on the cross. He didn't bear his own sins. No, I just read he was without sin, but he died for the sins of others. He died for mine and he died for yours. All right. The death of Jesus is in atonement. I talked about atonement as we walked through the gospel of John last year. Atonement literally means a covering a covering in the Old Testament, you're going to find this word used in regards to that Levitical sacrificial system that I was talking about. If a person or a nation sinned against the Lord, they could bring a sin offering to God, and the priest could make an atonement for him, an atonement for the nation before the Lord. In the case of the nation of Israel, the elders would lay hands on the head of that sacrificial animal, they'd kill it as their substitute. This atonement provided a covering. Of the guilt of those who were the real criminals, making it invisible to God. It's important, though, to remember for us through Jesus Christ, we have more than just a covering of sins. We have forgiveness of our sins. They are completely removed. The blood of a sacrificed animal, it covered sins while the blood of Jesus removed them. This is exactly what Hebrews 10, 4 through 10 says, because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings. You were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. And by that will we have been made holy to the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Amen. So it's a substitution. It's an atonement. It is a propitiation. Propitiation, that's a fancy word. <laughs> Ooh, prop- no that one. Propitiation, it's a turning away of wrath by a sacrifice. The turning away of wrath by a sacrifice. Whether you like it or not, God's wrath is real. It is. It is mentioned throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Talking about the wrath of God isn't a real popular subject. It's not a great way to grow a church. But that's exactly what the Bible tells us. John three thirty six. Listen up. It says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever reject, rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Romans 1, 18 says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Christ's death is a means to removing God's wrath. But listen up. Listen up. Here's the awesome truth about the God that we serve. This God of wrath. This God, He himself provided the means of removing his own wrath. I love that. This God of wrath was the one who provided the means of removing his own wrath. He provided the way. This is exactly what First John 4:10 says, "And this is love. this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The love of God is amazing. It's amazing. Number four, his death. It's a reconciliation. This is my favorite one. A reconciliation. Because in our sins, we were enemies, right? We were enemies of God. But because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we can instead have peace and fellowship with God. Oh, peace and with God, how that overwhelms my soul. And we can't reconcile ourselves to God on our own, right? It's not about what we can do, about our works. No, it is a gift, a true grace gift from God. It came from God. God's heart was for reconciliation. We were reconciled to him the death of his son jesus for if romans five ten says while we were god's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life christ satisfies the, the demands of god while we were god's enemies and because of that we can now be reconciled to him all right finally number five his death it is a redemption or a ransom Again, two really churchy words. We love to use them in a worship songs, especially the old school. You know, I've been redeemed. I've been redeemed. By the blood of the lamb. Okay, only Adam and I know that one, but that's cool. Uh, redemption. Redemption, it's the liberating or the releasing from captivity, slavery, or death. I'll say that again. Redemption, is the releasing, the liberation from slavery, from captivity, from death by the payment of a price. That payment we call a ransom. So redemption is a really big deal. In the death of Jesus, we have redemption from the penalty of the law. Amen. But we also have redemption from the law itself. Since we are no longer under law, but under grace, as Paul talks about in the book of Romans. We have redemption from the power of sin. That's what we talked about before the baptism last Sunday when I got kind of excited. But it's true. We have redemption from the power of sin. We have redemption from Satan and from all evil. We have even redemption from our mortal bodies praise the lord the apostle paul says we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption the sonship the redemption of our bodies which will be complete with Jesus' second coming so his death it's important it's important and he died for who all of us all of us but to be saved a person must believe must have faith that christ died for him Jesus tells us this in John 8, 24. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am He, you will indeed die in your sins. So the first fundamental truth of that gospel is that He died and He was buried. Second fundamental truth is that He was raised on the third day. We have a day in church culture that we celebrate. What, what is that day called? Easter, right? Easter celebration, resurrection, Sunday, kind of feels like, though, to me that this part of the gospel message gets overlooked the rest of the year. We actually do a lot of talking about his death, and, which is extremely important. But his death is only half of the gospel message. Jesus didn't stay in the grave. See, the resurrection of Jesus is just as important as his death. And you better believe it matters to us at Life Spring Church. You better believe that we care about his resurrection. You have to have both his death... And his resurrection to have that sufficient plan for salvation for men. His resurrection demonstrated that he really was the son of God. He, his resurrection proved that death, his death wasn't just the death of a really good man, like a really good moral teacher. No, his death was sufficient to cover all our sins, for his sacrifice was the sacrifice of the son of God. In many ways, this church, the New Testament church, has been founded on this truth. The truth that Jesus has been raised from the dead. This is what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15:13 through 19. Listen up. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our pre- preaching is useless. What I'm doing right now is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ. We are of all people most to be pitied. In that short passage, he says, If Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain. Our faith is in vain. The apostles are false witnesses. Believers are still in their sins. Those who have died have perished. They are lost without hope. But none of that's true because he is risen. He is risen. The book of Acts is Filled with verses declaring that Jesus has risen from the dead. In Acts 4.10, before the Sanhedrin, Peter, he boldly states, Then you know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. That this man stands before you healed. The resurrection of Jesus and the power that raised Jesus from the dead is mentioned over and over again in the New Testament. But it's important to understand he actually died. He really did die. He actually was dead. He wasn't just sleeping. He wasn't just knocked out. He wasn't just passed out from being really tired. He wasn't in a coma. He was dead. The soldier said that he was dead. The centurion in charge of his execution went to Pilate, told Pilate he's dead. Joseph of Arimathea said he's dead. The women at the cross thought he was dead. The son of God, Jesus, who we call the truth in the book of Revelation, he says this. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death in Hades. He was dead, but then he was resurrected from the dead. Do you believe that? We believe that at Life Spring Church. And why does it matter? Why does it matter that he died and that he was raised from the dead? It means he is who he says he is or he was who he says he was. Before his death and his resurrection, this is what Jesus says. This is before his death in Mark 8:31. He says, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Later in the Gospel of Mark, he says, I will destroy this man-made temple, and in three days I will build another not made by man. Jesus raising from the dead is an affirmation that Jesus was truly the Son of God and that there really is forgiveness of sins. Romans ten nine, a very popular verse. But think about it in this reality. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God, what? Raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. His resurrection in that verse is directly tied to the forgiveness of sins and our salvation in that verse. Jesus' resurrection gives us as Christians the confidence that God was satisfied with the sacrifice that Christ made in his behalf. Because of his resurrection, we are assured that we have all the power that we need to live the life that God has called us to live. In a really Pentecostal church, you will hear this proclaimed as resurrection power, right? Resurrection power! In the Old Testament, there was a rallying cry... For Old Testament Jews. It was to stir up their faith. And it was to remember that what God had done for them back delivering them from Egypt. Remembering what God had done for their fathers as he parted the Red Sea. In the New Testament, there is another rallying cry. It is the raising of Jesus from the dead. Ephesians one eighteen twenty says this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened why in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably what great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Let's read that together, actually. Um, I pray. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Nothing is more encouraging to me as a follower of Jesus Christ than that power to know that I have the same power within me that raised Jesus from the dead. It surely is resurrection power. And finally, Jesus' resurrection, it gives each of us as believers the assurance, the blessed hope of resurrection and immortality. In the resurrection of Jesus, death was defeated. He conquered death. The power of his, recon, uh, of his resurrection conquered the power of death. First Corinthians fifteen fifty four through fifty seven says this: When the perishable have been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's say verse 57 together. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, take a breath. A lot of scripture. But there it is. The gospel message. That Christ died for our sins. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day. And there's so much more to say. I mean, I just scratched the surface. But I promise you, as we walk this journey together at Lifespring, we will cover all that we can cover, uncover about Jesus. But as I close, I want to share something that's been on my heart this week. I hope you don't take it the wrong way. But it feels like a lot of us who have been walking with the Lord a long time. We've been singing these songs. We've been reading our Bibles, participating in these Bible studies, women's groups, men's groups, whatnot, eating the food at the potlucks. Many of us would not be able to communicate some of the truths that I just spoke about this morning. And in a way, it's okay. It really is. I truly and honestly believe that the gospel message is is simple. It is. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. I'm I'm not talking about Your salvation. It doesn't have to get more complicated than that. But I want to throw a challenge out to those of you who have been Christians for a while now. I really don't think you need another sermon. I I, I challenge you to explore, discover the depths, the richness of God in your Bible. Take it up a notch. (laughs) As you study His Word, as you learn, as you yield to the Holy Spirit, he will draw you closer to Jesus. He will. he will. You will learn more about Jesus. In your daily time with the Word, as you open up the Bible and you pray for the Holy Spirit to open up the eyes of your heart, he will draw you closer to Jesus. And I want that for you. I want that for you because in my own life, that's the most amazing part of my life, is getting to open up his word, spend time with Jesus and to learn a little bit more about Him. As I've grown in my own understanding of this plan of redemption, like I was talking about, over the last 10, 15 years, my faith has only increased. It has. My boldness has only increased. And I am continually, every time I learn more about Jesus, I am amazed every time. Continually amazed at what at God's amazing love that sent for me his son to die for my sins. So there's two questions that in my heart I pray that every one of us would be able to answer if we call ourselves life springers. You might want to write these down. Number one question, why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to die? And two, why did Jesus have to raise from the dead? Why did Jesus have to raise from the dead? Why did he have to die? Why did he have to raise from the dead? These things matter. These things are important to us as a church. I just bombarded you with Scripture today. I think we created like 45 PowerPoint slides this morning. It took me a while to compile all those passages and, and I knew a lot of people wouldn't be here today because of the Seahawks game. But I am so passionate about Jesus and what he has done for me that I would do it all over again, even if there was only one person sitting across from me. Because Jesus matters to me. He matters to me. I love the Seahawks. And, and it's fine if you went to the Seahawks. That's great. I don't, you know, I, I was being honest with my wife. I was like, oh, yeah, if I wasn't preaching, I don't know if I'd really be there. You know, I'm just being honest with you. But Jesus matters to me. It, he matters to Lifespring. I'm really happy that you said what you said, Wayne, because it showed to me that it's working. Our communication here at the church is working. That the fact that you said that you know, we're a church that talks about Jesus, that meant a lot to me. Because if you didn't think that way, then we're doing something wrong. Because Jesus matters. And my prayer is that He would matter to you. If, you, if you've never accepted Jesus, the Jesus that I've just described this morning as a personal Lord, as your Savior, believing in both His death, His burial, and His resurrection, I want to lead you in a prayer of salvation. Maybe this is the first time that you really understood who Jesus is. Like, what? That's Jesus? Like, I, wow, that's Jesus? If if that's what the Lord is speaking to you right now, if He's stirring you up, I want to lead you in a prayer of salvation. Raise your hand, and we'll all bow our heads and close our eyes and pray for you. So if you want to pray that prayer. You just discovered Jesus for the first time this morning. Raise your hand up high so I can see it. Real up high. All right. You got it. Absolutely. Anybody else? All right. The rest of you, let's do this thing. Let's be active in our faith. Let's grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And not so that we can just get all puffed up and conceited and show off in front of our friends. But instead... So that we, listen up, will be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks us to give the reason for the hope that's within us. Let's pray. Let's pray this together. It's the prayer of salvation. Lord Jesus, I love you. I believe in you. I believe that you lived. I believe that you died. I believe you were buried. And on the third day... He rose again. I believe that Jesus is alive. And that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead can be within me. So I accept you, Jesus, as my personal Lord and my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins. Amen. Amen.